want to welcome all of you. If you are new to Jesus, welcome to church. And if you, if you are kind of new to the Bible or new to Christianity, this is um, an interesting Sunday to come. You're going to encounter a Jesus who is on a mission and has some very clear, pointed things to say to some religious leaders. And so it's actually a cool Sunday, if this is your first Sunday, uh, to explore a little bit of the character in the heart of Jesus. So I'm glad you're here. So for the next eight weeks, um, as we've wrapped up four weeks on um, Jesus and money, we are now starting an eight-week journey that will lead us to the cross and resurrection of Jesus. These next eight weeks will be in the Gospel of Luke, and uh, we are wrapping up the Gospel of Luke after like three years in the Gospel of Luke, unreal. But actually, this journey, the next, next eight weeks, will lead us to the cross and resurrection. We'll have a couple weeks after like the Emmaus Road story. Some of you are familiar with these stories, and it'll wrap up our journey in, in Luke. But these next eight weeks are Jesus' final days. And today, as we begin this eight-week journey to Easter, we see that Jesus is on a mission. Today, he is on a mission to clean house, to clean house. And so, Jesus, as we come here today and as we open up the scriptures, we pray that you would be um, so present, so clear with your truth, that you would fill my friends here with a sense of your nearness, your grace for them today. Would you speak words of life as we come from all kinds of different walks of life here today? We gather because you're here. You're the center. You're everything. And we pray that in the coming minutes, you would teach us, guide us, show us how to live. We love you. Amen. Have you ever been asked to change something, to remake, remake something or, or revamp something, to transform it, to clean house, as it were? Something wasn't working. Maybe it was in your workplace. Maybe it was, uh, it, you know, in a place where you live or a hobby or something. And it, it could be a team, sports team, a restaurant, a charity, a political party, a church, a company. And it wasn't really going very well. And they asked you, either solo or part of a team, to help transform it. Because this thing, whatever it was, it used to be great. It used to be healthy. It used to be a winning team, but no longer. It needs a transformation. Speaking of football, <laughs> I am not going to talk about the Super Bowl right now. I'm not going to talk about the Super Bowl. I'm going to talk about a more pure form of hockey. Or hockey. <laughs> I've been My son has been playing a lot of hockey. A more pure form of football, right? Which is college football. Any fans in the room? Five. Five fans. Okay. It's where it's at. It's where it's at. In 1999, the Oklahoma Sooners football team needed a transformation. And I grew up in Oklahoma, and in the 90s, uh, the Oklahoma Sooners were not doing well. In 1996, the team won three games that entire season. The following year, in 1997, they won four games. In 1998, they won five games. And throughout these years, as I'm in high school, it was just painful. It was painful because this team, the Oklahoma Sooners, had, had won six national championships um, in the past. In 1950, in 1955 and 56, under the 
coaching and leadership of Bud Wilkinson, some of you know that name, in 74, 75, and 85 under the coaching of Barry Switzer, some of you know that name. But the dynasty of the Oklahoma Sooners was no longer, and they needed a transformation. Then in 1999, the Oklahoma Sooners hired a new coach named Bob Stoops. Bob Stoops then hired a brand new team to work under him, a brand new coaching staff. Hold that in your mind. That's going to be important with Jesus in a second. But Bob Stoops hired a brand new coaching staff. The following year, in the year 2000, the Sooners went on to win 13 games. They lost zero games, and they won the national championship for the seventh time. As we all know, one of the key pieces to transformation is new leadership. Maybe the old leaders of that thing, whatever it is that's in your mind, maybe they were amazing for a while. But it turns out the old leadership, which once cared for the people, or for the team, or for the company, no longer does. The old leadership started enjoying the perks of leadership more than the role itself, like the salary, the benefits, the honor. But they lost the heart. They lost the vision. This is the situation that Jesus sees around him. As he looks around, he sees God's great project, the Israel project, the people of Israel, in a state of ruin. He sees that Israel is in a ruined state because the people of Israel have had to worship in a temple that is filled with thieves. The people of Israel, God's people, were being led by leaders hungry for power and pride and praise. And as Jesus looks across God's people, he sees that there's a need for transformation. And he sees that there's a need for a new set of leaders, a brand new coaching staff, as it were. And if you have been following the life and teachings of Jesus, you know Jesus was passionate about this, about new leaders. Jesus knew he needed to clean house. Just before the story that we'll read today, at the end of Luke chapter 19, if you have your Bible, you'll, you'll see this, Jesus comes into the temple and sees injustice in the temple. We read this, Luke 19. When Jesus entered the temple courts, he began to drive out those who were selling. It is written, he said to them, my house will be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. What's going on? Well, people were using the temple. This is the heart of worship. This is the center of Israel. They were using the temple and worship in the temple to steal and take advantage of people. One biblical scholar named Daryl Bach says this, he says, quote, money changers collected Roman and Greek coins and exchanged them for the half-shekel temple tax required by the Torah. The exchange had a built-in surcharge. Notice that, a built-in surcharge, a portion of which may have gone to the high priest's family. Now imagine yourself, you are from far away, you've traveled a long distance to worship in the temple in Jerusalem, you have a, set, you have a currency that's not being used here, that when the temple money changers are exchanging your money for the half shekel temple tax, 
they, build in a, they built in a surcharge that's going uh, to the high priest's family. Jesus looks at this, and this is not great. It breaks his heart. And he sees that the worship in the temple had lost its vision because not only are these money changers taking advantage of the poor, people who are traveling from far away, they've actually missed the plot. This used to be a house of prayer. It used to be a place where people came to pray. What is prayer? Prayer is connection in relationship to the living God. That that used to be the vision of this place. And now Jesus says it's a den of robbers. It's a place of thieves. And so Jesus drives them out. He drives them out. In other accounts, in some other gospels of the life of Jesus in this story, we read that he takes a whip and he starts driving out these corrupt money changers out of the temple. He flips over their tables. You can imagine coins going everywhere and all kinds of animals scattering. And notice Jesus does not whip people, but he is, is, is driving them out like cattle, as it were. Someone needed to clean house. So the religious leaders, you can imagine, are not happy. They're not happy. Who is this rabbi from Nazareth who thinks he can come into the temple, the most holy place of Israel, and do this? What authority do you have to do this, Jesus? And Jesus, like he often does, responds with a question. Luke 20, starting in verse 3. He replied, I will ask you a question. Tell me, John's baptism, was it from heaven or of human origin? They discussed it among themselves and said, if we say from heaven, he'll ask, why didn't you believe him? But if we say of human origin, all the people will stone us because they're persuaded that John was a prophet. So they answered, we don't know where it was from. Jesus said, neither will I tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. Okay, what's going on here? Jesus confronts their question. Why do you have the right to overturn these tables, right? And he turns it around and goes, tell me, what do you think of John the Baptist? What a unique question to like just suddenly ask in the middle of, in the middle of this chaos, right? Hey, what do you think about John the Baptist? Some of you might remember that John the Baptist has just been beheaded by Herod but he had been a prophet and the people had flocked to him. He had baptized many in Israel in the Jordan River. And what was he doing? He was preparing the people to encounter their new king, right? And so Jesus is asking the, the, the religious leaders, these corrupt leaders, he's saying, do you believe that what John the Baptist was doing was legitimate? If you do, then why don't you think what I'm doing is legitimate? If you don't believe that what John was doing le was legitimate, then you've got bigger problems. He was a legitimate prophet from God. You don't want to go against what he and I are doing. You see, John was part of this transformation. He and Jesus working together. John was part of the cleansing of the house of Israel. John had led this movement of repentance as he baptized people in the Jordan River, they were turning, the people of Israel were turning from their sin to God, getting ready to meet the Messiah. So John and Jesus had the same thing in common. They had a, the same purpose, to prepare Israel to turn, to repent, and to meet the king. 
And the leadership of Israel needed to be challenged and purified. If some of you know a little bit about John the Baptist, you know he challenged the leadership of Israel. They needed to be challenged. They needed to be purified. So let me paraphrase what I think Jesus is saying. He's saying this. What I'm doing here as I cleanse the temple of thieves is part of the same thing God was doing with John the Baptist. John was cleaning house. I am cleaning house. We are cleaning up the distorted religious practices of Israel and we're preparing God's people for the new thing, for a new way to encounter God, a new way of worship. Now, we've arrived at our story for today. Jesus then goes on to tell a story. It's a parable. Listen to the parable of the tenants. Chapter 20, starting in verse 9. He, that's Jesus, went on to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard, rented it to some farmers, and went away for a long time. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants so that they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. He sent another servant, but that one also they beat and treated shamefully and sent away empty-handed. He sent still a third, and they wounded him and threw him out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, what shall I do? I will send my son, whom I love. Perhaps they'll respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they talked the matter over. This is the heir, they said. Let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. When the people heard this, they said, God forbid. This is the word of the Lord. In this story, there is a man who plants a vineyard. The man, we come to find out in the story, is God. And the vineyard is Israel. Israel, in the Old Testament, was always the vine that became a vineyard. Listen to Psalm 80, where God had transplanted Israel the vine from Egypt to the promised land. We read this, you transplanted a vine from Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it, and it took root and filled the land. Or listen to Isaiah 5. Isaiah 5, the first half of it, is, is called the song of the vineyard. The vine has become a vineyard. The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel. The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel. So when Jesus tells a story about a vineyard, you should think Israel. Now remember, Jesus is telling this parable, this story, about a vineyard in the temple. Remember, he's in the temple. He's just cleansed the temple. He's still in the temple. And you might find it interesting to note that two ancient historians named Tacitus and Josephus describe on the temple sanctuary, on the wall in front of the temple sanctuary, a huge golden vine with grape clusters surrounding the entrance to the sanctuary. Why, why is that there? Because it represents Israel, God's people, as a, as a vine. The vi a vine in a temple where Jesus is telling this story. Now, this can't be proven, but you can imagine Jesus pointing at the vine as he tells this story, just in your mind. Are you there in the temple? Can you imagine him telling this parable and pointing to the vine? 
You see, God is the great gardener of a great, beautiful vineyard, his people, Israel. Who owns the vineyard? Who owns Israel? God. Now, in the parable, Jesus says that God rented the vineyard to some farmers. Rented. They don't own. They're tenants. They're renting. God has placed leaders as tenants to care for his people, the vineyard. Who are these people? Well, it's the religious leaders. These are the tenants. How are they doing at their job? Not well. And in verse 19, if you have your Bible open, you can just check it out right now. The religious leaders know that Jesus is telling this story about them. They know he's talking about them. They are the tenant farmers that are doing a terrible job. In the story, they don't give the owner any fruit. Do you notice that? They keep the fruit to themselves. And then what do they do? They keep beating up messengers sent from the owner. Who are the messengers that they beat up? The prophets. The prophets. For hundreds of years, God had sent prophets to his people. But the tenants, the leaders of Israel, always rejected the prophets. Then, in the story, the owner says this. What shall I do? I'll send my son, whom I love. Perhaps they'll respect him. Jesus is telling a story, and here he is in the story. Did you catch that? Jesus is the son that God the gardener loves and sends to his vineyard, Israel. But in Jesus' story, the tenants take the son and kick him out of the vineyard and kill him. Listen to Jesus tell the story. He knows the fate that awaits him on Good Friday. He knows that his movement to transform Israel will lead to his own death on a hill called Calvary outside Jerusalem. Killed the way they kill slaves in the Roman Empire by crucifixion. The story ends in tragedy. The tenants kill the son of the owner? And then we read this. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. Sobering words. God, the owner, will come in judgment. He cares deeply for his people. He will not let these leaders lead his people any longer. He's going to give the leadership role to a new set of leaders. This is huge, so I want to say it again. The corrupt religious leadership of Israel will be removed, and God will give the vineyard to others, which leads you and I to ask the question, who are the others? Who are the others? Well, they've been standing next to Jesus the whole time. Twelve broken passionate, sinful, devoted apostles and friends. Luke gives us their names. Simon, whom he called, 
whom he named Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. This crew, this is the new coaching staff. Are you sure? Sure about that? Yes. These 12 that Jesus loved dearly, listen, first of all, he spent three years pouring his life into these 12. And listen to what he says to them at the final meal when he eats with them before, they die, before um, he dies. You are those who have stood by me in my trials, and I confer on you a kingdom, just as my father conferred one on me, so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Friends, sitting on thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel, that's a leadership role. Jesus gave the church leaders. They will be the leaders of a renewed Israel, the church. These 12 will be the leaders of a vineyard, which is the church. Not only is Jesus coming to remove the corrupt leadership, he is instituting a new team. Jesus is the new leader, the new king, whose transformation not only involves flipping tables, but establishing a new coaching staff. New tenants, new farmers, new leaders. Did you know that you're part of the vineyard? All of you who have given your lives to Jesus, you are in Christ. What does that mean? It means you are a branch connected to, grafted into a vine. You're part of the vineyard. The vine is Jesus. And the vineyard is anyone attached to Jesus, connected to Jesus. Listen to Jesus in John 15. I am the true vine. And my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain, or some of your Bibles say abide. Remain, abide in me, and I also remain and abide in you. No, ban no branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain, abide in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain and abide in me. When Jesus says, I'm the vine, in John 15, that is not shocking to you and me, right? In the 21st century in Western Canada, that's not shocking to us. But it would have been radical to any Jew listening to Jesus in Jesus' day because Jesus is not the vine. Israel is the vine. Israel is the vineyard, right? But Jesus stands up and points to himself and says, I'm the true vine. The vineyard is now anyone connected to me, says Jesus. Anyone in Christ. You see, this is nothing short of radical. He's saying your identity is now in me. This has nothing to do with where you come geographically or your ethnicity. He's saying, I'm the true vine. You wanna be part of God's great vineyard? Then abide in me, remain in me. 
Let's talk about that word abide. In the Greek, the word translated abide can be translated live, dwell, stay. We're called then to abide, live, remain, dwell, stay in Jesus. To remain and abide in Jesus the vine is to say this is it right here. My connection to Jesus, this is it. This is everything. This, I, I will abide, live, stay, dwell in Jesus, come what may. That this is where I will find my wisdom and my identity and my purpose and my goals and love and life will spring from my connection to Jesus the vine. And North Langley, this is the project that we are on as a church, to be apprenticed to Jesus, to find life in Jesus. Okay, back to leadership and transformation. You see, the old leaders of Israel may have been amazing for a while, but it turns out that those who once cared for the people no longer do. They were enjoying the perks of leadership, the salary, the benefits, the honor, but they lost the heart and they lost the vision. So let's bridge this to today. For 2,000 years, starting with uh, those 12 disciples, God has asked a new group of tenants all around the world to care for his vineyard. Listen to the leaders that God gave to care for his vineyard, the church. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And if we could just keep that slide up for a second. Look, look at that last promise. The whole goal, North Langley, the whole goal is that you would become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. That's what we're doing here. That you, that you and I would grow in maturity in Christ where we have all the fullness of Christ. Imagine for a second all the fullness of Christ, all of his love, all of his grace, all of his kindness, all of his teachings that guide us in life, like that we would come to the place where we are full in Christ. How do we get to that place? Well, we read that Christ gave his vineyard, his people, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Different denominations and churches kind of arrange the leadership differently. But each church has leaders, shepherds, pastors. And the big question is, how are those leaders leading? Any of us who obviously teach this text find a moment to turn, you know, the mirror turns towards ourselves. And we have to ask this question of ourselves. How are those leaders leading? In the past several years, the headlines have continued to showcase name after name of men who've led in Christian ministry who have dashed their lives on the rocks in one way or another. I do not need to repeat their names from this stage. Many of you know their names. Many of these incredible, uh, at least in our eyes, incredible Christian leaders 
in ministry, uh, we've, we've been saddened to watch them fall because we felt ministered to by them. We read their books. We watched their sermons. We were under their leadership or mentorship, and we trusted them. A few years ago on Twitter, amidst the hashtag MeToo movement, the hashtag church Too movement highlighted the sexual and spiritual abuse that has been perpetrated by Christian leaders. These were tenants of the vineyard who were abusing the vineyard. These leaders were exposed as tenants of a vineyard who were abusing the vine. Remember, Jesus calls the church his body. So when any leader abuses the vineyard, they're abusing the vine. And the questions that come up when we've watched all this happen, for many of us, and I know in the room, I know there's many of you who are leaders, Christian leaders, where we've had to ask the question, how is it that many of us can, can continue to live in lies, in secrecy? How, how can systems in these ministries or churches enable this kind of behavior? Will victims be supported and find healing through the trauma that they've experienced at the hands of tenants who had lost the vision to care for the vine or the vineyard? Personally, this, for the last number of years, has revealed a dangerous reality that I can be a pastor without the character of Jesus. I can be a pastor without the character of Jesus. That's scary. I can be a steward, a tenant, a shepherd without the character of Jesus. I personally know that there are ways of doing a version of Christian leadership without loving Jesus, without the presence of Jesus. We can operate like a CEO, coach, or leader using the best communication skills, marketing skills, leadership skills, business skills, without the presence of Jesus. As Eugene Peterson once wrote, quote, the vocation of pastors has been replaced by the strategies of religious entrepreneurs with business plans. When our only job was to point people to Jesus, that's, that's all there is on the job description. Point people, keep pointing people to Jesus, to love him, to know him. And for all of us in the room who find ourselves in a place of Christian leadership, we're tenants in the vineyard, pastors, elders, ministry leaders, parachurch leaders, life group leaders, youth, lead, youth group leaders. The question that all of us need to be asking ourselves is have we walked away from the role of being loving gardeners of God's great vineyard, loving stewards of God's great vineyard, and have we then adopted the strategies of the entrepreneur and the business person, enjoying the perks of leadership when we haven't loved the people in God's great vineyard? And what are we called to do? Well, two quick things. First of all, we remember that we're tenants, that this vineyard does not belong to us. We're not owners. 
We're pastors, elders, ministry leaders, life group leaders, youth group leaders, and we are stewards, not owners of the vine. And as soon as I be begin to think that I own the vineyard, that's when I'm in danger. Secondly, we become gardeners who offer the fruit back to God in worship. That we take no credit. This is his fruit from the vine. So under all of us who are leaders in the room, under our leadership, any new growth, any new people who encounter Jesus, anyone who experiences freedom, anyone who is passionate now to serve or who finds community, that is all fruit offered back to God. Imagine it's all the fruit is in a basket and we offer it back to God and we go, this is yours, <laughs> take it. Thank you for it. We offer it back in thankfulness to God with a heart of thankfulness. Thank you for what you're doing. As tenants in the vineyard, we keep making the main thing the main thing, which is Jesus, Jesus, a love for Jesus, connection to Jesus the vine. As leaders, we're called to teach people to pray like Jesus and to cultivate hearts of worship towards Jesus and teaching others to hear the words of Jesus and walk in obedience to his words. Like, that's it. That's like, that's it. <laughs> that's all it is. And yet, I find in my own life as a leader, the temptations of the heart in Christian subculture is to turn it all inward and self-focused, to dream of certain kinds of influence and larger platforms and certain presence online and invitations to speak more or write more or lead more. But in each of these things or dreams of these things, in what ways do they keep me from being a tenant, a faithful tenant of where the Lord has placed each of us, of where the Lord has placed me? That somehow here on the corner of 96 and 210, in this beautiful, this beautiful neighborhood, that Christ loves this place with all of his heart and a tenant of the vineyard in this place should love those in front of him. A tenant here should slow down and be attuned to the Spirit and what the Spirit is doing in this place and what the Spirit is doing in me. And the calling is to care for the hurting here and to inspire apprenticeship to Jesus here and to see people love the scriptures here, and to see people reconciled in relationship here, and to see people fall in love with Jesus for the first time here. And the beautiful thing is that every member of the vineyard is actually called, called to lead in some way or another. But I wanna make a specific call to some of you who might have been feeling for a while like they might be called to be a pastor, an elder, a shepherd, a teacher, a leader. What if God disrupted some career paths today? Are you listening to his voice? What if God stirred a love for the vineyard in you, a love for his church, for his beautiful people? Are you listening? 
God loves his vineyard. And he needs every one of us listening. Where is he calling me next? For some of you, would you be willing to lay your career path down? And as wild as it seems, would you say yes to following his plan for where he might lead you? As I end, I want to offer a final thought. As a tenant who's trying to be a faithful tenant, may I do the one thing that I'm supposed to do, which is draw your gaze to Jesus. It's the only role that I have, is to draw your gaze to Jesus. So right now, think of Jesus. May our prayer be the prayer of an Anglican hymn based on the prayer of Richard of Chichester, made famous through Godspell and the great DC Talk. Here it is. Day by day, dear Lord, of thee three things I pray. To see thee more clearly, to love thee more dearly, to follow thee more nearly, day by day. Northangly, that's it. That's abiding in the vine. That is where we find life and life to the full. To see Jesus more clearly, to love Jesus more dearly, to follow Jesus more nearly, day by day. Can we stand together? We're gonna worship. Our prayer teams are gonna come forward and our prayer team will be in the prayer room and they're ready to pray with anyone who has this desire to know Jesus more deeply. Even if you say, I know I'm part of the vineyard, I know I'm in Christ, but I want to see him more clearly and love him more dearly and follow him more nearly, then would you come forward and receive prayer, go to the prayer room, someone would love to pray for you. Knowing we're all called to lead, if you have trouble believing that, that Christ would call you to lead in some way, our prayer team would love to pray for you. So right now, let's spend a moment, let's close our eyes, let's spend some time in prayer. Jesus, this is your vineyard. You are the great vine that nourishes us, that grows fruit from our life. And we know it's all grace that we get to be grafted into you. So I lift up my friends here today and I pray that you would draw their gaze to yourself, that you would renew their love for you, Lord Jesus, I pray that you would call many in the room to take a next step, to become faithful stewards and workers in your vineyard. But Lord Jesus, for all of us, we pray, dear Lord, these three things, to see you more clearly and to love you more dearly and to follow you more nearly.